0: Brought to you by Feitner Productions.
1: From the Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, this is Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerk, and co-hosts, Kristen Drenning and Curtis Rutherford. Featuring a
0: jury of genius jokesmiths and paneled with the help of Publishers Clearinghouse, auditors from the firm of
2: DCH Lottery Management and selected by random draw from a hermetically sealed mayonnaise
1: jar every Tuesday and Thursday at Half Past Never, only a madman would bring these people together to construct an entire virtual world of law and order simply to tear it asunder
3: with ruckus laughter that madman is attorney billy de the result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the interwebs that podcast is this one and it starts right now welcome to laying down the law a comedy podcast hosted by me the legal marmoset billy de Clerc. <laughs> i'm co-host
2: kristen drenning actual lawyer storyteller improv teacher and friend to the bats in austin texas
1: and I'm Curtis Rutherford, the co host of this podcast, the creator of Improv Beat by Beat, the audio interview textbook of improv, former member of the UCB Herald Team Ghost, now coach of the UCB Herald Team Ghost, and author of Laser Focus on SAT Math, in which I explain math, which is only useful if improv isn't useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's meet our guests.
2: We're thrilled to welcome back the very talented and funny Kelly Johnson, writer, improviser, and creator of a new human life. Welcome, Kelly. Happy to be here.
4: I apologize in advance for North Hollywood's shitty internet. <laughs> it's what we're known for. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, spectrum, I think, is the is the culprit here. Welcome, Kelly. Thrilled to have you on the show. But according to Wikipedia, we missed one of your most important credits, Um, Wikipedia tells us that we should be talking about Hyperdarium, a genus of fungi, uh, the genus first described in 2000. And um, so tell us, how does this um, new uh, fungus relate to your your credits, Kelly? Curious to know.
4: Right. Well, um, I'm glad that up because so few people ask me about it. Um, and the way that relates to me is that um, I was born with a unique condition called hyperhidrosis, where I get really sweaty hands and feet. Um, I, you can see where I'm going with this. So occasionally I get kind of, you know, really acute cases of athlete's foot. Um, back where I'm from Bakersfield, California, they average about 100 plus days, about 100 degree days. So really sweaty feet. And so it was actually the first case of this new fungi. Um, and it's because of me that um, it's now making its way into the mainstream. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad we brought that up. It's one of those important things that people, people wanna know the background of our guests. They our wanna know before the... they
4: touch my feet.
3: Exactly, They do. that is one thing that comes into, comes into play. Before we get into our case of the week, in April, a Delaware court ordered two attorneys to stand in the courthouse with signs referring to a settlement hearing that the court had agreed to postpone. The hearing had been scheduled the day before, April 4th, but on Saturday, the ODP Corporation, also known as Office Depot, asked to postpone the hearing, saying it failed, accidentally, to notify interested parties, such as shareholders, of the time and place. This is disappointing, said the court but decided they had no choice but to reschedule. So what did they do? What if someone had heard about the hearing and decided to show up not knowing about the postponement? The risk is low, the court admitted, but such potential attendees should not be prejudiced by the company's mistake. So it ordered the company's attorneys to pay the travel expenses of anyone who did show up for the hearing that wasn't gonna happen anymore, and then required two lawyers to stand in the courthouse holding signs that would alert any such person to the situation. This is in the Leonard L. Williams Justice Center in Wilmington, Delaware. One lawyer was required to stand with a sign printed in large, easily readable font saying, Settlement Hearing for ODP Corporation, please see me. The other was required to stand with a similar sign outside the elevators on the 12th floor where the courtroom is located. Each lawyer will ask any individual they see if the individual intended to attend this settlement hearing. If the answer is yes, the lawyer must explain that the hearing has been postponed and provide the new hearing information. The lawyer will ask if the person is a stockholder, and if so, will take down the individual's contact information so their expenses can be reimbursed. The lawyers were required to certify afterward that they had complied and report the results. After this order, The lawyers agreed that they would be there on Tuesday from 10 a.m. to 1130
1: a.m. Even if you work for Office Depot, you have to get the big signs printed.
2: Oh, nice. Yep.
3: That's true. Office Depot, they didn't comp the cost of that, I'm sure.
2: I wonder how that judge felt about that postponement.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Disappointed. Sounds like it was an understatement. It seems like he's pretty freaking annoyed, honestly. I mean the fact that it gave both of these lawyers full
1: instructions like they were like characters in a video game. If this happens <laughs> you must say this, but if this happens you must in that case respond in this way.
3: Yes, well we this is a the uh, case is a case about consequences for choices disobeying the court um and so we're thematically connecting into Union versus Bagwell, a 1994 Supreme Court case, that's 512 U.S. 821 for you nerds. Let me tell you a little bit about this case. So in 1989, there was a strike by the United Mine Workers Union against two coal companies in southwestern Virginia. Shortly after the strike began, the companies got an injunction in Virginia State Court prohibiting unlawful activity in connection with the strike. The companies brought a motion which the court ultimately modified and strengthened called an injunction. An injunction is an order to do or not do something. Typically it's an order to not do something. In this case, the injunction prohibited blocking access to the mines, throwing rocks and placing tire puncturing devices on the roads leading to and from the mines. It also required the union to put supervisors at picket sites and limit the number of picketers at the designated sites. We can't have too many people striking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah very timely for those of you that are um following the um writers strike although by the time this episode drops maybe it'll be over and give the writers everything they asked for for crying out. maybe loud.
4: there'll be a new strike by then <laughs> maybe we got the maybe, railroad workers we got the teachers we got the writers
3: maybe by then chat gpt will actually also be striking
0: mm-hmm. that's
3: um, the future so The uh, union did not obey the injunction. And so there was a contempt hearing set in which the court set out a schedule of civil fines, depending on the nature of the violation. The trial court said these are civil fines. That's a very important distinction for this case. There were then a series of subsequent contempt hearings in which the trial court found the union to be in civil contempt. The court fined the union a total of $64 million for 400 different violations of the injunctions. (laughs) Kelly's jaw just dropped or she's yawning. I'm not sure. 400 different violations of the injunction. $12 million was a fine payable to the companies, the coal mines, and the remaining 52 million was payable to the Commonwealth of Virginia and the two Mm. counties in which the mines were located. The court tried the contempt sanctions as civil sanctions, and therefore there was no jury. The union appealed the contempt orders. While the union's appeals were pending, the parties settled the dispute. So the mines and the mine and the union came to an agreement that gave rise to the strike, and the parties moved to vacate, that means take away, get rid of the fines, and dismiss the case. The trial court granted the motion to settle the case, and vacated the $12 million in fines that were payable to the companies, but refused to vacate the $52 million fine, all the while maintaining that the fines were civil and coercive. The word coercive in this case signifies something important, which is that coercive means to, you know, you want someone to uh, obey the court order as opposed to punishing for past behavior. So the court's position was that I warned you, I said there were the, going to be these fines if you violate the injunction in this and this ways. I gave you a schedule, and so you're supposed to obey the court order, and your disregard for the court order is a violation to the court. It's a personal affront to me worth $52 million because you didn't listen to me. And so no, there's no requirement that there be a jury. If it was a criminal contempt fine, then there's a requirement that it be at this point in time in Supreme Court jurisprudence there's a requirement that it be tried to a jury. We'll get, at the end, I'll explain um, that the civil and criminal distinction didn't always matter. There was a time when there wasn't a right to a jury trial, even with a criminal contempt fine. The companies, the, these are the mines now, pulled out of the case. They had no more interest. The judge was determined to collect the fines and appointed John Bagwell as a special commissioner to collect the fines on behalf of the two counties and the Commonwealth of Virginia. The Virginia court of appeals reversed without deciding whether the fines were civil or criminal. They assumed that the fines were coercive civil fines and the court held that the settlement of the underlying dispute required the contempt sanctions to be set aside. The Virginia Supreme court reversed holding that the settlement of the case did not make the contempt proceedings moot and the fines levied were valid, civil, coercive remedies. The Supreme Court of Virginia, or Virginia Supreme Court, explained that the trial court's clear intent was to coerce compliance with its injunction and the fines were conditional because the union could have avoided them had they just obeyed. The injunction.
2: Can we take a procedural posture a moment?
3: Let's take a moment to discuss the procedural posture. For those of you non-lawyers who are listening to this, procedural posture doesn't refer to any kind of doesn't refer to yoga necessarily, or you know, having a good back. Procedural posture refers to the position the case is in. So therefore, posture. The position the case is in when it comes to us to decide. So please, Kristen, explain the procedural posture of this. Uh, case.
2: Absolutely. Now, how did this case come in front of the Supreme Court? Well, there's two ways that which that could typically happen one in the overwhelming majority of the cases that the Supreme Court hears uh, are granted from a writ of certiorari, sorry, or my as I like to call it, uh, from cases that came up on uh, appeal from the uh, Court of Appeals, which is a federal district, there are 13 federal districts, each of these has one Court of Appeals. And that's where those settle questions of federal law. Now there's also this situation, a very rare situation in which a court case can come up from appeal from the court of final resolution of an individual state. In this case, it came through the court, a Supreme Court of Virginia, which is the highest court of Virginia. And those typically are only granted, those kinds of uh, petitions are only granted when it concerns a question of either constitutional law or some other abiding federal interest or a difference of opinion between two federal entities or a state and a federal entity.
3: Said differently, there's 62 ways to my Sharona.
2: Yes, thank you. Yep.
3: 62 ways to my Sharona you got 50 states so you can my Sharona, you can get a rid of Sharona from the uh, rid of my Sharona from any state, the top court of any state, or you can get a rid of my Sharona from the federal courts which are nationwide and then they're divided into uh, circuits so we here in California are in the ninth circuit, Uh, you in Texas are in the uh, fifth. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. Am I right or am I wrong? Delaware is the second. What did Delaware? It wore the Second Circuit. So the question in the case to be decided first by the comedy court panel of comedic lawyers and secondarily by the United States Supreme Court. The question is whether the fifty two million dollars in fines ordered by the court in Virginia were civil, coercive fines or whether they were criminal fines that required a jury. Civil coercive fines can be decided by the judge. Criminal contempt fines must be decided by a jury. Okay, now we have outlined the case, but what I want to know are the questions about the facts or the background that maybe something that went too fast, something that doesn't make sense, something that you're confused about, something we need to uh, make clearer. Does it
1: matter what they did? Because we know they said, hey, don't blow up tires. Don't have too many people showing up. Don't throw rocks. Those seem like very different uh, varieties of possible things you could do. Like, is this 52 million just because like you had 401 people striking and we said 400? Or is it because like, oh, no, you threw a boulder
3: on your foreman and splatted him like Wile e. Coyote? Right. Yeah. The, the the So the schedule of fines, they were different kinds of fines for different kinds of things. And apparently it was pretty violent. I tried to do some research and find out exactly what all the violations were, the 400 violations, like how many of them were blowing things up and how many were blocking the road and how many were putting things like blowing up car tires and how much was just too many people. I couldn't find that information. Um, if someone uh, is listening to this podcast and has the time to look it up, please uh, tweet at Comedy Lawyer or at max headroom esquire to let me know but it appears based upon because the uh, virginia court of appeal said the record is so voluminous we're not even going to try and summarize it <laughs> apparently so it's there like, definitely were something that we would consider so they
1: were getting criminal spicy. Actions.
3: yeah this, was, this spicy. was it was spicy it was spicy i mean
4: the thing is though is the nature of the violation in correlation to the type of fine like if they were violent acts would that equal a criminal uh, whatever (laughs)
3: so yeah so the judge in the case essentially made up what the fines were going to be so if it was you know too many people you know if it's too many people gathering in a spot let's say I don't have the actual information this is just a this is just me making it up but a thousand dollars Per extra person gathered in this spot, and then ten thousand dollars if you blow up a car, and if you block the road, it's ten thousand dollars. Or so he had. He basically had this order. And in in just a, a side note, doing do you want me to give you a little overview of what an injunction is, or or how it works, or is that kind of was that clear in the? beginning part. I mean, I, think assume, I don't them, hey, know anything. Okay. The injunction was
1: to say, like, just stop doing this. You can't keep right. doing this until we establish what is good or bad about this.
3: Right. An injunction is essentially a court order that tells people not to do something to to enjoin certain conduct. So it's different from typically what you get in most cases is, you know, you, um, you know, you're driving your motorcycle, you get hit by a big rig, you file a lawsuit, and then you get 12 million dollars. And then you get on a billboard that's money damages is what it's called. An injunction is a, is a different category. And now you um, nerd alert, nerd alert. I'm going to go down into deep into legal history. Back in the old days, there were two courts. There were two types of courts. There were courts of law and courts of equity. Courts of law were courts that involved applying the law to the people in front of them, which is what we think courts do now. There were also courts of equity, which had to do with like, what's fair? And so injunction power comes from that tradition of the court of equities. There's a unification in US law between courts of law and courts of equity. This is like nerd, nerd, nerd stuff, but there's one court system and courts say they sit in equity or they follow equity. Which means we're not really applying the law; we're just doing what we think is fair. That's equity. And so, an injunction is when the court is sitting in equity. They're saying we think that it's unfair that these mine workers who are striking should be, um, should be, you know, you know, putting road spikes to ruin the tires of the scabs on their way in, and shouldn't be blocking the roads and whatnot. They should be standing on the side of the road and quietly picketing in groups of five to six and not be too disruptive.
2: I like to think of courts of equity as being the more adventurous kind of court, because they're the ones you turn to for the more exotic, uh, off the beaten path forms of relief, right?
3: That's true. That's true. I, You know, I there's a whole direction that I was thinking about going when you're mentioning about judges who are more adventurous than others. Yeah. I don't know if anyone watches the show Billions, but, um, you know, Definitely uh, Paul Giamatti's character there would be in two courts of equity, so to speak, <laughs> as a deep cut reference for those of you who watch Billions. So an injunction is an in order to do to to not do something, typically. And I skipped the chapter in injunctions because it, there's a lot of detail there about what, when you can have an injunction, what the rules are, what the standards are. But just for the sake of this case, understand that the injunction is a in court order, that the judge issued based upon what the striking members of the union were doing, telling, and the the company, the, the coal mines said, Hey, you know, make sure these, these, these mine workers are doing all this stuff that breaks the law. So if you can imagine the writer's guild, let's just try and bring it in for real. You know, if the writer's guild members were let's say linking arms and blocking Fairfax Avenue and not letting people go into the farmer's market to go and get, um, you know, get tchotchkes at cost at, at world market
1: that's how you break the executives quickly Streaming right and executives paramount executives tchotchkes.
3: right and they're like we need we need to get in we need to get some sriracha mayonnaise how are we going to get sriracha mayonnaise with the riders linking arms and blocking blocking fairfax avenue we can't go around the block and enter on third Avenue. third you know we gotta we gotta get in from the fairfax entrance because it's much closer you see we're getting hyper local right now what i want to so, know is
4: did the miners have jay leno bringing them randy's donuts ooh. because maybe that's what they would have needed
3: well 1994 um i think at that point in time had, had this jay was leno the late taken night over? wars uh, yeah 94. this that's is like about deep the time. in the late night wars right so you know you had letterman on one hand like casting out pizzas and pencils and being like whoa, whoa, whoa and like blue cards and whatnot and then Jay we Leno, were, you know,
1: we were yeah. a divided country. It was dark it was. times. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the state of Texas asserts itself as its own country upon hearing this information.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So so the court basically said, listen, listen, you miners. You can have your little strike, but stay out of the way. These mines need to stay open. You can't break the law. Blah 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 blah. And if you do, these are the things, these are going to be the penalties. So it's very important to this particular case that the judge announced the penalties in advance and said, "said look, I- I'm not punishing you after the fact for things you did. Like, it's not the minds running in and saying, hey, you know, you said they weren't supposed to do this and now they did it, so find them a million dollars. The judge said in advance, if you do this, I'm going to find you a million dollars. Even though these penalties completely pulled out of his judicial ass. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. From beneath the black robe, whatever he's wearing underneath there, because this is a more adventurous judge. Mm -hmm. He's into the kink, the judicial kink. Mm -hmm. And so he's, Mm -hmm. he's pulling up all these penalties. He's like, you know, for, for this, you know, we'll put you on the, on the rack and we'll stretch you for this. You'll be drawn Mm -hmm. and quartered. And for this, it's $10 million essentially. But all. let's
4: be honest. If anyone's, you know, been through hell and back it's probably some miners mm-hmm. not like children but you know the people
3: yes <laughs> the coal people miners in the caves
4: right. yeah like what <laughs> Hmm.
3: yeah this is some and this is some union busting activity by the mines you know and the, the miners are like listen you have us go into a dark shaft in which the way we you know survive is if a canary dies first then we got a gtfo basically these things explode. People die. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna do. No wonder
4: they're blowing up tires or doing what have yous.
2: I feel like mm-hmm. the canaries are the ones who ought to be unionizing in this scenario.
3: But... I, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, and I don't know that it was the, you know, this was still the '80s, so the, you know, like the whole animal rights thing hadn't quite come as far by mm-hmm.
4: then. Mm-hmm. No canary court know. yet.
3: <laughs> no canary court. All right. Any other questions about the underlying facts of the case? I'm going to, I'm going to, this time I'm not going to say what the Supreme Court said until after comedy court. Any more questions about the facts? I will say though,
4: if you do, Hmm? this isn't a question, but if you did want someone collecting your fines, I think you definitely want his name to be Bagwell.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. He's going to do a good job of bagging those gold coins that the union has. <laughs> Sorry,
1: what are we trying to decide
3: again? Because it
1: feels like there are so many egregious things in this case. So this was mm-hmm. specifically about uh, whether they're criminal or civil fines? The
3: specific issue in the case is whether or not the union should have to pay $52 million to the state of Virginia and the two counties where the mines were located.
1: Because if they were actual so, criminal fines, there should have been a jury, and this judge right. couldn't have so,
3: ass-pulled. Right. So so if they were criminal – if those were criminal fines, the judge did not follow the right procedure, and he should have dismissed the fines when the case settled. If they were properly civil fines, so you can – um, if you irritate a judge enough, they can fine you and order it payable to the court. And so if you have a situation let's say you have a witness who is um you know actively disrespectful to the court and 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 won't and will ignore court orders the court can basically write a ticket to the attorney basically fun say, fact, like, if you st-
1: make that farting noise one more time you mm-hmm. have to pay 52 million dollars to the
3: county mm-hmm. right for example one time i did get fined by a court it wasn't contempt really it's called a sanction i was sanctioned 200 dollars because I failed to read the court's procedures, which required me to deliver a paper copy of what I filed electronically to the court. So I went to the hearing, I won the hearing, but the court said, you're fined $200 because you failed to deliver paper copies and my assistant had to print it out. That's the most um,
1: expensive printing in history. Get I'm this. surprised I didn't
4: find you for not faxing it in too. Yeah.
3: (laughs) The filing was so thick and the messenger plus the messenger fees that the sanction was actually cheaper as it turned out. Um, But (laughs) it would have cost more to have it delivered. So who's dumb now? But okay. That's the kind so, of thing that a judge can just
1: say like, okay, I'm just giving you, we don't need to like bring a jury in for this. That's just, right. that's just Billy being Billy. Let's let come on. Yeah.
3: He's just being a clown and we, you know, he's always, you know, talking out of turn. We're going to sanction him. We're going to, we're going to hold him in contempt. Um, You know, we'll come up in a situation where, and the, the Supreme court ultimately talked about this, where if you have a witness who is instructed not, There can be a motion that you don't aren't allowed to talk about something, you know, don't talk about the pink elephants. And then the witness keeps talking about the pink elephants. You're not supposed to talk about the pink elephants. It's been ruled by the court. You're not supposed to talk about pink elephants. And the witness keeps talking about the pink elephants. The judge says, you do that again. I'm going to hold you in contempt. And he says, well, okay, you're going to hold me and my pink elephants in contempt. Bang the gavel. One thousand dollars contempt sanction. All right. So that is a situation where the court is trying to control the courtroom, and that's the only way that they can do it. In those kind of a situations, the background case law that would take you to this point says the court's within the court's jurisdiction to issue a contempt sanction when it involves direct control of courtroom proceedings. Gotcha. When it's something that happens outside of court, and the, the this union activity would be a kind of an extreme example, but something that... A, you know, judge issues an order and somebody doesn't follow the order and then people come in with evidence. Well, then it's more like a little trial. Like, did you follow the court order or didn't you? So that starts looking more like a criminal case because what did you do outside of court? And so the issue that was presented to the Supreme Court of the United States in this case was, are these sanctions, these $52, do, $52 million in criminal, in in contempt, uh, fines that the union was assessed unconstitutional because they're a deprivation of property without due process of law, because the court didn't have a jury trial. And if it's a criminal violation, the bill of rights, us constitution guarantees you a jury trial before you can be penalized in a criminal setting. So because the constitution requires a jury trial for criminal charges to be levied against you, then it would be unconstitutional for the judge to make a decision about this, these monetary fines. If they're criminal, if it's just a civil penalty, then the judge is allowed to decide it. Any other clarifying questions that I can create further confusion or nerd out on?
1: (laughs) And so like the, the in court things, those do those still count as like the? You mentioned the difference between like a coercive fine and 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 not, right? So because right in this one they ahead of time were like, okay, we're trying to keep you from doing this, and so he said, mm-hmm. I'm going to fine you ten million dollars.
3: Right. So yeah. So the the fines were um, the judge believed and said these are civil coercive fines. So if you violate my order you being the union, if you union violate my order or your members violate my order, I'm going to hold you in contempt. And if you do this, you know, if you, if you have too many people picketing, then I'm going to make it, the fine's going to be this. If you have, if you're throwing rocks at cars, it's going to be this. If you are blocking the road, it's going to be this. If you are, um, You know, putting things on the road to blow up tires, it's going to be this, you know. So the judge kind of came up with a menu of what the sanctions were going to be in advance. And so the judge and the Supreme Court of Virginia said, these are civil coercive sanctions or fines that the court was using to require compliance with the court's order. And so there wasn't a jury trial required. The fact that there was no jury trial. Again, this case never would have happened if the judge had impaneled a jury and hold, held a hearing in front of a jury and the jury had ruled that these fines should be imposed, that they had, in fact, done the things they weren't supposed to do. Gotcha. So it's a procedural, it's a procedural constitutionality question. Do we have enough to argue comedy court, enough sense of it? Good. I mean, the Okay. about when comedy we, co- court is you need very little. You need very little information and very little understanding of the case. Actually, to win at comedy court... Many times the winner uh, has nothing to do with what the case is. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Comedy Court.
4: Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared. to love
3: You're on mute live comedy. The second Saturday of every month at the pack theater in Hollywood. And we're back. Welcome to comedy court. I'm TV judge, Billy DeClerc. And this is my courtroom. We're calling today the case of the international mine workers against Bagwell. Uh, we have in the court today, we have uh, attorney representing the, uh, the mines, the mine owners, uh w- Council, what's your name
4: uh yes it is mia thermopolis
3: mia thermopolis uh okay and representing the uh representing the union we have attorney uh my name is alf cio alf attorney attorney alf cio and uh and uh representing ba- uh um um I'm sorry bagwell
2: it is the man, the myth, the legend himself. I am Charles Bagwell. Thank you very much.
3: Charles Bagwell, you must be the brother of John Bagwell. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Charles Bagwell. Identical twins. I can't even tell you apart. We you both know, are uh, similar. You know, it's so funny. Remember when me and you and your brother and um and my brother, we all went golfing the other oh. week and... oh. that was
2: so funny you have a hell of a shot i'll tell oh, you I what. Oh. I,
3: I didn't even have four beers before the second oh. it was a, oh. gee, I'm the second one four
2: <laughs> it was awfully <laughs> kind of you to treat us to the links of course we'll be repaying you real soon you know oh, <laughs>
3: Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you just you just sit on down to there, Charles, okay. and we'll be we'll be getting right to. you. But first, I think we want to hear from the mine owners. Well, uh, you know, we're we're real close. I I remember you had me tour your estate the other day. But um, tell me, you know what what what's the position of the mine owners towards this whole situation here?
4: Yes, thank you. Um, the position of the mine owners is that they don't give a shit. Um, they really couldn't give fewer. Shits. They kind of just want to go on with their lives and get the miners back in the mines and get the mines mining. So if we could just go ahead and wrap this up, look at he split. Um, I think we'll all be much happier. Well, we will. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I never, I never uh, let a day go by before I let a Virginia coal mine owner uh, get something, have something happen they don't want. So this will be a short hearing. I can assure you that you can, you can, you can let your corporate overlords. I mean clients know uh that that's the case and um and now let's hear from the um the union uh ragtag bunch and misfits mr alf cio mm-hmm. go ahead i mean this is just a theater of prejudice this isn't a
1: court this is so you have a so i am the court has assigned somebody to take my money and is now trying to decide whether the person they assigned to take take our union money our hard-earned money is right or whether we're right. This is we're through the looking
3: glass. It's true. If you look at the <laughs> so funny you mentioned that. If you look at the lady behind me, the blindfolded lady, it says actually "Teatras Absurdis," which uh, translates from Latin to to um Theater to always absurd- be fair, always be
1: fair. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, and also that lady, I she looks
3: a lot like Bagwell.
2: Uh That's and she's true. winking at you, your honor. <laughs> <laughs>
3: this <That was> is unbelievable. <laughs> was that you? Well, that was your your sister, uh, the, you know, the, oh, yes. she, you know, posed for the, you know, anyway, uh, here is story, a real crazy, crazy story. You. Our stolen is bones uh-huh. mm-hmm. This is
1: there's no way that the court can kind of self deal in this way. Say, hey, we've made up a magic number and then that magic number you you happened to not do the thing that we wanted you to do, and so now we're going to charge you that magic number in money, and we're going to appoint somebody else to take it. Even after the case is done, the mine owners don't care. Look, the mine owner, he's he's playing Scrabble by himself, running back and forth between both both sides. He doesn't care. He's just here because he was required by the court to be here, and the mine owner knew— if you don't show up you're going to get fined 7 million dollars. I'm sorry sorry mine owner you Well,
4: sorry, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Uh that's not the only reason we're here. We actually have a black lung class action at 3. So again, if we could just go ahead and hurry this up, uh, we'll we'll be out of here.
2: And then I'll see you on the links too, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah be, you know, uh, you know, they, I like to caddy for them sometimes. You know, I'm just <laughs> Just like to hang out in the cart and just, uh, you know, throw back a little Johnny Walker. Hang out oh, with my friends Jack Daniels, Johnny Walker, and Jim Beam. We make a pretty good golf foursome. Well, oh, uh, yeah. so I don't know if you do you read Variety. Because there's read? a there's a film in development that I think I ought to be cast. It's called Judge Dread based upon some comics where the judge is judge, jury, and executioner. I kind of think that would be a good part for oh. me. I think I, had a, I got a career in movies. I'm a TV judge now, but what I really want to be is on the silver screen.
2: On the behalf but, uh, of all the Bagwells, we would love to see that, Judge. We would love that. Do you think we
3: could secure mind. some financing? Because I think I would look huh. good. I need to work out just a little bit, do a few ab crunches and whatnot. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I feel that – you know, I've got a big future. I could put on some cool shades and, you know, say things like, "Like you're executed," oh, and then you oh, know, yeah, it'd be so good, right? Oh,
2: so good, so good. I don't so know good. if
3: they cast anyone in that. I think they were looking at Sylvester Stallone, but uh, you know, I think I could be just as good.
2: I, I, a hundred percent believe it. And I'll tell you what, I, I, if I can finance it, if I could get my hands on some resources, I would put it all towards that very noble dream. That's right.
1: I'm sorry, was all of that my argument? Was that part of mine my- <laughs> I feel like we're still in
3: the union. oh, yes, I'm oh, sorry. Um, uh, I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> uh, go ahead, Alf. Um, uh, we're listening, please. uh, you have uh you have another minute because, you know, we've got a tea time to make and after the black lung class action and we got uh, go ahead, I'm listening. Mm-hmm.
1: Look, this clearly should not be in the hands of just one judge dread. Right. We need Whoa. this should be in the hands of a jury. This should clearly be criminal. Look, look, we blew up a, f- a few cars. OK, we dug some big pits. We shoved some managers into the big pits and listen to them go. Ah. Yeah, sure. Our union did that. OK, but these are things that can be handled in a normal criminal court, not just by a judge making up numbers. He's got some dice behind the bench. He's rolling dice and making up numbers each time and just giving us those fines. Uh, again, uh,
4: we couldn't give any less of a shit. But I will say, sir, I mean, have you walked into the DMV lately? Have you been in a Trader Joe's parking lot? Have you seen who your peers are? And that's who you want deciding what's going to happen with these millions and millions of dollars. Really, we're doing you a favor by putting it in the hands of someone someone who who knows how to read (laughs) that i do Uh, thank you very much yeah so i would just say um you should be lucky and you're welcome for actually taking it this easy on you
1: i mean that was from i don't give a shit to i am hard i am definitely Mm -hmm. on the side of the cool that's what
2: that's what a golfing relationship will do again and again
4: no shits whatsoever Mm -hmm. i was just trying to you know paint you a picture but
2: whatever
3: Well, if there's no further argument, I am ready to rule.
2: Oh, no, I have an argument. Oh, come on. Your honor. It's only. Go ahead, Charles.
3: I'm so sorry. Charles, (laughs) my my bad.
2: I mean, no (laughs) problem. I just I just I want to do you the honor of enforcing your great and thoughtful and thought provoking wisdom in in initially granting these. All right. Now, uh, not yours, but the court below. Whatever. It doesn't matter. All right. Here we go. Back uh, backing up. I'm going to put some bags down while I shake the union guy for his money uh -hmm. here's what's up we published a schedule we don't call it a maybe timetable we call it a schedule because when we say if you do something this is gonna happen it means it's gonna happen we said you do this you get a fine they did this lots of this might I add not just one time many a time many to many 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 and so we and so they were ratfully punished, but not punished in a criminal way punished in a very, very civil way and very courteously, and I am a courteous man, and I have been sent to collect that money in a courteous regard that is very and can only be described as civil. Also, might I add constitutions monstitustion. I've never heard anybody say that the Constitution protects your right to to take it no i don't think so i don't think it does and also the state of virginia could use some money thank you you're i rest
3: uh, rebuttal from uh mr alcio i know um uh, my good friend from the the mines he, he really couldn't care less so we'll just get this over with go ahead uh alf mm-hmm.
1: i mean part of my rebuttal is constitution schmonstitution and then they they you heard him they, say it they know <laughs> That That's clearly wrong and also then made direct reference to a right we absolutely have. In fact, not only is it a right we have, it's a right that the founders said, hey, we better put this as the First Amendment. We better amend the thing that we just wrote just to make clear you definitely have the right to this.
2: Oh, oh Your Honor, I happen to have found one of your brand new, super expensive, top of the line drivers in my uh
3: Car, I wrapped it on up in a gift box. Is that a Dunlop? Oh, I (laughs) do love the Dunlop. (laughs) Okay. well, I am ready to announce my ruling. Mr. Alcea, will you approach the bench? Now, what I would like you to do, I'm going to actually I'm going to actually increase the contempt sanctions. (laughs) What I would like you to do is I would like you to dress up like a big baby (laughs) in a diaper wearing a bonnet outside the court. And I want you to hold a sign that says, I'm a big baby because I don't want to pay for breaking the judge's rules. I, that's what oh, it's OK. Well, I'm I already have baby. a sign that
1: says that because of an unrelated other mm. case, but mm-hmm. I'm not happy about this. Oh, your honor. That you have once again
2: done it. You have served. That justice. will be the
3: ruin. And that's the end of comedy court. We're <laughs> going go to the hallway now with commentary from the um the victorious uh, Charles Bagwell representing his brother John. Charles yep. Bagwell. What do you have to say about the arguments in the court today? I'll tell you
2: what. I had never had it in any doubt because the the tradition of the Bagwells is a long and solid one of of successful collections. Also, we have a great, great pudding arm, and we know how to schmooze on a, on a golf course. I knew that judge was going to eat. Taffy out of my palm if I wanted him to, and and also that union guy I didn't like his face I didn't like his face at all so I knew I knew.
3: Mhm. Oh, uh, sorry. I've just um. Oh no the uh the attorney for the mines just um appears to be doing a crossword, um. So I guess we won't be getting um, any commentary from.
4: Sorry. Oh. Uh. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's actually a sudoku oh Sudoku! <laughs> uh, oh, that's
3: so so innovative mm-hmm. yeah
4: no but we can take a moment to 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 commentate um honestly when i saw mr bagwell's pinky rings and how the diamonds match the ones encrusted in his teeth yeah. i knew that's the guy we want collecting these fines truly an upstanding citizen of superior golfer i mean get him on the greens get him get, getting the greens and let's just move on. You
2: know, they're just minors. That is my mm-hmm. kind of a disinterested third party. Might I add? Yes.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, who? Yes. Oh, uh, we're just wrapping up for the day and we have one more commentary from you. Uh, uh, Mr. Alf CIO, uh, please tell us a little bit about uh, how you feel after taking a, a big L in the courtroom there. Uh, comments, thoughts. Well, According to the court, I'm
1: required to say that I feel <laughs> I feel like a big dumb baby. Not only did I take an L, I took a dump in my big baby diaper. I'm sorry for burdening the court with my baby dumps and my crying. I will never take part in any sort of organized labor dispute again and I will support capital in any way possible
3: this has been comedy court where money always rules
1: so i assume the real court found <laughs> the exact same way <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. well i am um, actually pulled the audio i'm gonna tr- see if i can make this work um i pulled the audio from oral arguments from the actual supreme court hearing um and um so let me just see if i can share my I screen hope,
4: i hope they had the say about their baby dumps still in the real <laughs> in the real audio all right can you
3: see my <laughs> screen It has the the justices up top this is a website called oye.org where it has all the oral arguments so let me just see can you um so i'm going at twenty five twenty nine in this clip and i don't hear anything Shoot.
1: hit play one more time okay. do you
4: want us to act it out
3: No, I wanted
1: you to hear it.
2: Is volume up?
3: No.
1: Um, Hit pause, unshare it, and see if you can share or click on share audio. See if it's also sharing the audio.
3: Yeah, I did have it sharing. I don't know. Um, This is not the first time this has happened. Share sound. All right, well. I thought it was super neat because it's actually John G. Roberts argued this case. Wow. Yeah, but you guys can't hear it.
1: Uh, Could we, but you've got the, could you bring up the uh, uh, transcript again and I'll do my best uh, John G. Roberts?
3: Sure. Okay. Can you see it?
1: It's Um, his first. hidden right now.
3: Oh, let me, let me do this. Let me change screen I'm doing it on. Um let's see. I know you have a hard out, so I don't want to goof on this too much. No worries. Oh, you know what? I wonder if if it works if it'll work better on Chrome. Firefox has gotten increasingly uh non-worky. Yeah, which is too bad.
1: Also, I'm guessing Clarence Thomas remained silent throughout the entire (laughs) thing, but he's somebody I particularly would want to hear from about being in the bag of millionaires. Yeah, seriously.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. May I please go.
3: Um. Well, I'm always trying new things because you know what I like to do is I like to fail in new and different ways all the time. No, nope, nothing. Oh, wait. Hold on. Okay, I'm give this I give this no more than 2 additional minutes. Okay. Because seriously, we got a uh so.
2: We can call this episode mining for gold
3: mining for gold. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Let me see. Well, I can do it this hinky way.
1: I can hear it softly. Yeah. This court has explained that we should look to the substance
0: of the proceeding, classifying contempt as civil or criminal. Here, the defendant violated an injunction repeatedly. The defendant was brought before the court. The judge said you violated this injunction to get you to stop violating it and start complying with it in the future. Going to find you so much for every future violation.
3: Okay, so you guys can hear that. Yeah, mm-hmm. sort of. Okay, hold on. Let me just try try doing it this way.
0: These fines are prospective, and you can avoid them completely by complying with the injunction. I hope this will deter future violations. Now, if it ha- the fines hadn't been prospective, then the enforcement of the injunction would have had to have been through a criminal process with a jury trial. If everything turned on specifying the fee schedule. In general, I think that's correct. You need to have a situation where the judge specifies in advance a warning to the defendant to coerce him. I think what the fun. constitutional values that are served by that distinction. Constitutional values that are served is that your the, the Bill of Rights protections that the uh, union is saying it wasn't granted are applicable only in a criminal proceeding one brought to punish if the proceeding is not one brought to punish, it's not a criminal proceeding, and then those protections are not applicable. The question instead is, uh, is the proceeding coercive and remedial as opposed to punitive? Why has why it, it become coercive just because you name the amount of money? I mean, it's the difference between the judge saying, if you violate my order, I'm going to fine you $1,000 a day, and the judge saying, if you violate my order, I'm going to fine you something. I won't tell you now what it is, but you're going to be fine. It's not. tempting court. I mean, they're both coercive, it seems to me. Well, they do have general coercive aspects. It looks more remedial in the sense that it is specified and focused on a particular defendant, because in the situation you posit what the judge is going to do after the violation is set the fine based on the violation, look to the past. What he's doing here is looking to the future. He's not saying, you've done terrible things and this is what you're going to pay. He's saying, I want to get you to stop doing those things and this is what I think it will take. And what here's the, the, the difference is he makes a speech to the defendant as opposed, in effect, to uh, deeming that the defendant knows the criminal law. No, and it, 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 it seems to me a totally formalistic distinction. It's not a formalistic distinction, Your Honor, in this respect. The general criminal law does have deterrent effect. Applies to everyone, the general deterrence. Here, we're talking about a specific defendant whose conduct uh, is has risen to the level that an injunction has been entered against him. It's been narrowed down to that defendant. When the judge and, and that defendant then violates the order again, and when the judge says, this is what I think it will take to get you to comply, that order is narrowed and coercive in a far more focused sense than the criminal law. I see, I see it's narrowing. But I'm not sure why its narrowing makes it coercive, and I don't see what the extra element of coercion
4: is. They're wrong. I mean, that sounded mm. exactly like us. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty
3: much the same thing, right? Oh, wait, I, I just uh, love it. was like lower your looking audience. in a oh, mirror. Shit, sorry. How's it now? <laughs> Better, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, First I was.
1: Yeah. Uh, Alito sounds a lot like Johnny Carson, or like Johnny Carson by way of Dana Carvey. He has like that same like, well, uh, okay, so uh, is that what we're doing? Really, is that really coercion? But what about the Constitution? Like, he has that exact that's a, same. Yeah, he it's, sounded it's, like Scalia. That's, that's, that's Scalia. To me. That's Scalia. Yeah. Oh, Scalia. Yes, yeah, Sorry. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and you had um, Robert we had in there. Had we also had Kennedy. Like, you can hear yeah. that Harvard. Hmm. Yeah, I just love seeing. John Roberts getting getting the smack down from Scalia like yeah. that. It's like like he just kind of would never get over that. Think about where the Supreme Court is today. Um, so I don't know if you uh f- from that and, and we did not hear anything from Clarence Thomas. No, notably. we didn't <laughs> yeah.
1: sat there. You could hear him nodding, nodding the and accepting coins as he nodded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, just like <laughs> counting bills.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so this actually ended up being a unanimous ruling in favor of the union. Ugh. Unanimous 9 0. It's actually a 9 0, and there's seven, it was seven to two with two concurrences a concurrence by Scalia and a concurrence by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and, but all nine justices found that this was a criminal and coercive sanction and not a um not a a civil fine. Um here's the reasoning. And the, the opinion was authored by Blackman. Um Rehnquist was not the supreme I uh, was not the Chief Justice at that time. Oh no, I'm sorry, Rehnquist was the chief justice at that time. Blackman wrote the opinion. So the fundamental question is Here is is goes to the process and whether it's a fair process, and we believe that a a criminal sanction is requires a jury. The Supreme Court said that a direct contempt. That's what we talk about if someone's disrespectful to the court or disruptive in the court that the judge witnesses. Those can be penalized summarily immediately because the court has an interest in maintaining order. And there's no real need for fact-finding and low likelihood of an erroneous deprivation of liberty because that happens right in front of the judge, right in the judge's courtroom. When you have a situation when it's indirect contempt, that is, it happens outside of the purview. It doesn't happen in the courtroom. Maybe it happens in the hallway or maybe it happens in a mine a few miles away. We need more procedural safeguards to make sure that, the, that the, the penalty is fair. And so the court does kind of a sliding scale test where you have the direct contempt of court on one end and criminal contempt that requires a jury trial on the other and says often indirect contempt can be adjudicated by the judge without a jury when it involves a discrete not um not subtle discrete like singular one readily ascertainable act so an example like that would be um let's say you got an, someone was parking their car in your parking spot all the time And you went to court and you got an injunction to prevent them from parking their car in your car parking spot. And they parked their car in your parking spot. And you went, you took a picture and you got the license plate, you know, it's their car and you go back and you say, your honor, you ordered, you ordered them to stop, stop parking in my spot. This is my spot. It's the second on the left and their car is there again. This is a photo I took. I'm holding a newspaper in front of it. It's clear there was a direct order don't park here, and they parked there anyway. So that's when they're talking about a discrete, readily ascertainable act. It's one thing, simple and straightforward. When you have a complex injunction, and this was a complex injunction, there were many acts that were prohibited. And to get to the point of having an injunction, there was an extensive record to get there because the mines, remember, they went in in the first place and they said, These miners are creating all kinds of havoc. They're doing all these things and it's, it's disrupting the operation of the mine. It's unsafe. It's, it's disruptive. It's dangerous. Um, You know, they're, they're, they're destroying property. You know, we need to enjoin all these different kinds of things. So it's a complex injunction. Because of that level of complexity, the Supreme court said in that situation, we think that criminal procedures may be more appropriate. The court also said that just because the dollar amount was announced in advance doesn't make them civil fines, because criminal laws also announce the fine in advance. <laughs> so it doesn't help. All criminal, most criminal statutes say, if you break this law, here's the penalty. So it was. There's no distinct distinction between the union's ability to adjust to avoid the sanctions and any citizen's av- ability to avoid criminal sanctions. It looks exactly the same. Right. This is a
1: civil problem because it starts with a C unlike a criminal.
3: Pro- <laughs> 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 right. Now, the court goes into this issue of whether they're, they're compensatory. So remember that there were $64 million in fines at the beginning, $12 million to the mines, $52 million to the court. The $12 million that went to the the mines, those got settled. They went away. The union and the mines reached an agreement, and part of the agreement was we're not going to collect these contempt sanctions. Those $12 million were supposed to be compensatory in the sense to compensate for the damage that had been caused by these minors breaking the injunction. The other $52 million, those had to do with the state's interest in making sure that its orders were followed. It wasn't like the judge had to do $52 million of extra work or had to you know hire police to go out and do it. The $52 million was just a penalty that had to be paid to the court. It wasn't compensating anybody for anything. It was just... You violated the order. So you gotta pay a penalty to like a tax, like a like a if you get a speeding ticket, you're just writing a check to the county. It's not, you know, it's not um it's not compensating anything. So this situation didn't occur in the court's presence. So it didn't come to that core judicial function. They weren't simple affirmative acts where the where the judge's ability, remember the judges are just they're just people in robes. They don't have the ability to, the power to go out and do things. Um, they don't have a police force. There's no, they don't tell sheriffs what to do. Like they, they have a, you know, a bailiff in the courtroom, but they don't have, there's no police, there's no court police that goes out and do things. And this was a widespread, ongoing, out of court violations of a complex injunction, which essentially created a whole co- code of conduct that the court had made up. And imposed on these union members um, that they had, you can do this. You can't do that. You can do this. You can't do that. The judge basically was announcing a whole set of laws and then what the penalties were and the contumacy contumacy. Here's a, is a word, your vocabulary word. uh, Contumacy means that contemptible behavior, willful disobedience of a court order lasted for many months. It was across several counties and the fines were enormous And so, for all of these reasons, disinterested fact-finding and even-handed adjudication were essential. And for that reason, the union was entitled to a uh, criminal jury trial. Interestingly, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's concurrence says, essentially, there isn't a difference. It's a distinction without a difference when you say um, that it's a... um, you know, because it's perspective versus um, retroactive. She says, essentially, <clears throat> if we were to accept the logic of Bagwell's arguments that the fines here were civil because they're conditional and coercive, no fine would elude that category categorization. Any fine is conditional upon compliance or noncompliance. Criminal contempt sanctions also coerce in the same sense because they also are supposed to prevent a repetition of disobedience. Second, the court's refusal to vacate the fines despite the party's settlement and joint motion asking to, dev- to uh, set aside the fines is characteristic of criminal, not civil proceedings. The private complainant is gone, doesn't care, is doing Sudoku in the corner, that's a uh, Sorry, that's a little, that's not there, but that means that, you know, it's clearly a criminal fine because the, the, the mind didn't care anymore. So there's no the equity to
1: resolve at that point. Right. The, right. the mind at that point has said,
3: well, this is equitable. This is fine. We're,
1: we're mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm.
3: And so, um, and so for that reason, the, you know, the, she, she writes separately and she says this sliding scale thing doesn't make sense. You know, if it's the power of the state, that's acting, then it's criminal. If it's private parties, then it's civil. Um,
1: I, I love that ahead. this judge basically made up his own his entire set of laws around a strike, implemented mm-hmm. them, and it took every appeal, like every way all the way up the Supreme Court, and eight people or seven people plus uh Thomas yelling at Uh, John Roberts, to finally clear this up and say like, yeah, judges can't just make up their entire own law system. Uh
3: Yeah. Well, this is, this is, I got really into this case. I got, I got really interested in the history of it. And so um, there's a 1958 case um, where Justice Black wrote, when the responsibilities of lawmaker, prosecutor, judge, jury, and disciplinarian are thrust upon a judge, he or she, is obviously incapable of holding the scales of justice perfectly fair and true and reflecting impartially on the guilt or innocence of the accused. He or she truly becomes the judge of his or her own cause. It's a 1958 dissenting opinion. So in this 1958 case, um, Justice Black was in the minority, holding that that you shouldn't be, that you should have a jury when it's a criminal contempt sanction. And that wasn't the law at the time. That changed in a case called Bloom v. Illinois, 1968 case, when the Supreme Court said, you know what, Justice Black was right. Contemptuous conduct, this is a quote, contemptuous conduct often strikes at the most vulnerable and human qualities of a judge's temperament. And guess who agrees? Antonin Scalia, the Jay Leno of the
1: 1990s. (laughs) Oh, one more talk show. I've decided uh, Souter was Dick Cavett.
3: If you go back and listen to Souter, he has (laughs) a real Dick Cavett aspect to him. Anyway, sorry. Absolutely. So uh, Scalia writes, in light of the broad sweep of modern judicial decrees, he's talking about injunctions, which have the binding effect of laws for those to whom they apply, the notion of judges in effect, making the laws, prosecuting their violation and sitting in judgment of those prosecutions summons forth the prospect of most tyrannical licentiousness.
1: Also known as judge dread starring. Sylvester that's right. Stallone That's right. And Rob Schneider.
3: Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that, that judge, justice uh, Scalia didn't like. It was, um, tyrannical
1: licentiousness (laughs) he loves the tyranny the licentiousness no not so much
3: yeah um yeah all right um i also found a law review article cornell law review 1995 article by philip hostak and this will be our button on the case judge mclaughlin um was the name of the judge and the enormity of the fines raised some questions of whether he was being uh, a little biased. The organized labor representatives said that the fines were enough to bankrupt the union. Um, at the time, United Mine Workers President Richard Trumka saw the fine as an effort to utterly destroy the union. In fact, Judge McLaughlin had refused to recuse himself from the case, despite the fact that his father who was an incumbent in the Virginia state legislature had just been defeated by a write-in candidate named Jackie stump, who was the president of the United mine workers local in an election that had been polarized by the strike. Given the immensity of the fines and judge McLaughlin's (laughs) McLaughlin's apparently conflicted interests and his determination to collect the fines, despite the settlement, uh, even going so far as to appoint someone to chase after the money, uh, there was an inference uh, that there was some judicial violence. Yeah. <laughs> judicial, judicial bias uh, with the recollection of the court's historical hostility to organized labor. The inference is difficult to resist according to uh, Professor Hostack. Mm-hmm.
2: I find that simply irresistible also.
3: Simply mm-hmm. irresistible. It's simply irresistible. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, um, before we do improv, I'm going to give you a little palate cleanser. That was a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, Supreme Court cases are always a big stretch. And this was a really interesting one to me. So I I did a lot of d- digging. Dig. This one was really interesting to me. So I did a lot of deep digging. Um, like the minors uh, themselves. Like the miners. <laughs> um, a judge named Joan Ori Melvin, who was previously a justice of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court in 2013, was convicted, convicted of six counts of corruption for using her judicial staff to help her run for office. Twice. Three of the charges are felonies, but a former uh, Justice Melvin will not serve any jail time. Instead, she sent, has to send an apology to every other Pennsylvania judge, all 500 of them, accompanied by a picture of herself wearing handcuffs. It's they, not clear whether will, the notes were handwritten.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this I is a day. What type of picture with
3: handcuffs? So she can yeah. really go, she can go <laughs> saucy or crazy.
4: Oh my God. <laughs> she can God. go
3: crazy. Yeah. Never <laughs> underestimate the power of a handwritten note. Yeah. Is what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> this is a day all about exotic punishments, right? You know
1: what I mean, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, sorry. I know. I know you all want to strike. Okay. I know you want to strike, and you have the ability to strike, and that's fine. But as judge, I just want to lay down some some ground rules, right? So, so first off, no signs. Oh no. Nope. <laughs> If you have a problem, you can write it down on a little card and you can keep the card in your vest pocket.
2: But, gee, Judge, how are we? How are people going to see uh, our little note cards in our pockets when we're out by the mines?
1: Well, maybe you should just be more friendly to them.
3: Okay? And Rana, but- Rana, I got no. a trebuchet out back. I'm planning to sow some flaming hot oil into the mines. You think it's
1: that all right? OK, well, we're going to say no siege warfare in general. No, no trebuchets, no catapults, no ballista. None of that will be allowed with this strike. You are purely allowed to use an inside voice, wander not close to the mines, actually pretty far. You'll you'll have to walk around, uh, I'm going to say like behind the library, and uh, not the good library, the library that I shut down last year.
2: Uh, Judge, it yep. says here, it says that we're not allowed to wear our, our shoes while protesting.
1: Yep, no shoes, no shoes. I, I want to make sure that this strike, if you really want this You would be okay walking barefoot through the very pointy back lot of that library.
4: Uh, Judge, so sorry. I just want to make Mm -hmm. sure that I'm reading this right. It says that we're only allowed to strike for 22 minutes between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m.
1: Yep. That's what we call a sitcom strike. A classic 22 minutes out of the uh, half hour. Yeah, that's it. 2 to 3 a.m. Okay. Any more than that. Look, you don't want to disturb people knock knock sweetheart working? sorry to interrupt your
2: court proceeding i just wanted to check in with you see if you were dealing with those nasty mean old miners that were okay sweetheart. oh me. i
1: am honey uh, th- this is this is my wife she owns the mine <laughs> no ah. conflict
2: of interest <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh but thanks for making me lunch those i did favorite, i did favorite eggs
2: I took the liberty It's weird of, that you had us meet you here in your house.
1: <laughs> I,
2: well, I came by the courtroom, but you guys were over here in the home, so I thought, why not?
1: <laughs> I had people from Office Depot standing by, alerting <laughs> them to wander right on over to the house. They had a big sign that says, judge is, and then there was an arrow that pointed to home.
3: <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm I'm kind of hungry over here, and I, you know, I my strike sign is the appropriate three by five card sign. So I'm just wondering, maybe can I have like a couple of peanuts or something? Because I followed all the rules. I have I have absolutely no weaponry. I have I have I have a sign. That is... We have
1: a secret contempt rule for today, <laughs> and. Dropping in right now, I'm sorry you have broken today's secret contempt rule, which was squeaky voice. Squeaky voice is punishable by seven million dollars per squeak.
2: Is that really enough, sweetheart? I don't know. I feel like it's a really at least easily a 12 million dollar uh, uh, fine. Uh uh, uh,
1: uh, uh uh, that's another 96 million. Oh, there you go. We're at 108 million dollars. You're good.
2: Stop squishing. Isn't that quiet lovely? Oh, sweetheart, I'm so proud of you.
1: Where's so those... our union rep? Oh, the union rep, I'm sorry. The union rep actually couldn't be here. I had him uh, arrested for some unrelated uh, thoughts. He... I made it very clear. You can't think bad things about the judge. And then I could tell he was thinking bad things about the judge. So he's going to be in jail for the next 10 to 20 millennia. As well as anybody who replaces him as union rep is also liable for the exact same thing. So anybody you vote as union rep, right to jail, right with them, because they technically did the same crime. Hey, are you Jackie Stump?
2: Yeah, how it, could you tell? You got that big. You got that big T-shirt on underneath your prison stripes that says Union. I saw you when you were getting changed at the at the, at the front. You oh, know, thank God.
4: I thought it was because I had a stump for a leg. <laughs>
2: oh, that too. But uh, Jackie Stump, I wrote you in on the ballot. Uh, I'm a big fan of your work. No. Oh, shit. You got to take that back. You're right. I don't want to get. Caught. I don't want to get I caught can't. fraternizing.
4: No, I mean you gotta gotta erase my name. You gotta get your ballot back. I can't be written in on there. Why? Well, you hear what they're doing to people these days. Oh I no. mean, you see what happened to my first leg. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out of unions now. Okay, it's just give them give them what they want.
2: But you were a real hero to me. I mean, we, we prison guards, we all thought maybe you were uh, a real good a real good person. Maybe someone who's going to finally help us uh, work in Joes, not be tyrannized by uh, rich
1: people. Excuse me, are you both talking about voting for my daddy? We are, yes, indeed we are, yes. Voted for that
2: daddy of yours for certain, and not no Jackie Stumps.
1: Jackie, 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 you're Jackie Stumps.
2: How could you tell? Is
1: it my stump for a leg? Yeah, well, that's part of it. Also, you're wearing a sci- uh, shirt that says, "I'm Jackie Stumps. Stump for stump. Stumps. <laughs> Don't get stumped. Vote for Stumps."
4: Damn. Too many
1: mottos.
4: Well, you know what they say: if one doesn't stick, just keep adding a new one.
2: <laughs> that is an old Union chestnut. I've heard it before. <laughs>
1: Well, I hope you still both vote for my daddy. He's running on a platform of the more money you have, the more votes you have. That sounds
2: that sounds great, uh, Judge. I'll just uh, I'll just go right up, get my ballot back and erase it. <laughs> Jackie can't vote because she's in prison. <laughs> <clears throat>
4: I I appreciate you guys coming to the prison though to tell me these things. Otherwise, I'd never be informed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, I had to be here anyways, because I'm taking a photo shoot as part of a uh, problem that I had. I have to show up behind the bars, and they have to take photos of me behind the bars with a big sad face. I'll be wearing a hamburger outfit. It's because I forged a series of uh, uh, checks and was uh, uh, telling people they were in contempt of court and had to pay the money directly to me in my hands. I would hold up my hand and say, you're in contempt, and then have them place money on my hands. Apparently, now you can't do that, which is why I'm here to take photos, which I will send to all the other judges.
3: Boy, Bob, our t-shirt business here selling uh, Jackie Stump themed t-shirts has taken off. Just covering all sides of the waterfront. You know, we were doing the the Hamburglar t-shirt. Now we got the Jackie Stump t-shirt. I'm just wondering if there's more angles we can cover to get, uh, you know, make more money off strike related t-shirts.
1: What if we had Jackie Stump bibs? maybe like super long bibs where we can just have all his mottos just kind of rolling down like uh, you know, yeah, like an like, old
3: messenger. Oh, you're thinking outside the box. You're thinking about horizontally, m- m- horizontally managing the market, as opposed, as opposed to vertically, just as many different products at different product lines, you know, we could do pens, the bibs, the t-shirts. We could also do, you know, have checks with like watermarks and uh, like other kinds of printed oriented things
2: well how do there, folks are you the t-shirt people responsible for all this Jackie Stump paraphernalia uh yeah yeah please see it ma'am I'm John Bagwell sirs uh and I am I am here to collect on all of all monies created in the support of that union loving criminal not criminal civil contempt person contemptuous civilian well, oh, Mr. Bagwell, this is how I'm planning to pay my children. Well, I'm sorry, but, but the state of Virginia needs and, and and reserves the right to excessively punish its union politicians any way it wants to. And anybody who makes profits off of those people. Well, they're in the bag. They're in the Bagwell ambit, you know,
3: Bagwell, Bagwell, Bagwell. That that name, it's it needs to be printed on something. Maybe. Wow bags. What do you say we start we switch over from the stump t-shirts to the Bagwell bags and we could we could print all kinds of John Bagwell related paraphernalia and we'd sell it on the corner. Don't you think that would be much better than taking all of our money?
2: Well, I do have a certain vanity to my name and myself, I won't deny. Myself and my twin brother Charles are handsome as as can be. Our faces do belong on on posters,
0: on and t-shirts. t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But, and
2: I'm back. Uh, yeah, Charles Bagwell here. That's my um, brother. Um,
4: yeah. Well, uh,
3: handsomer looking gentleman. I never did. I get see- my
4: two cents and speaking of two cents. We are still gonna. We are still gonna need that payment. That's right. Uh, but we'll take the t-shirt too. Maybe
1: oh. wrap up the cash in the shirts. All right, hear ye, hear ye. Welcome to the court of equity. We are gonna find between Bagwell and the stump printing people. But now just a reminder we're real free form here and okay? we don't we don't need a lot of order. This is uh this is a court of equity. So let's just real quick, let's just go around the horn. How does everybody feel from let's say blue to seven? Uh
2: Your Honor, uh, this this is uh, John Bagwell, I'd like to say that I am feeling mighty frisky today and I'm looking forward to some unusual punishment.
1: Thank you. Ooh, frisky. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that aura. Great, great, great.
3: Uh, I'm just, I don't know. I'm real confused. I mean, i got like four kids and my entire, you know, life savings went into a screen printing machine and, you know, just, is there a way out of this?
1: Ooh, the only way out of this is, you know what Jim Morrison says? There's only one way out. I think he said something about death. We don't uh, get the exact lyrics, to, especially to Jim Morrison songs. What did he say?
2: Well said, your
1: honor. Thank Whatever you. it was, was perfect. Whatever it was. There was this The mm-hmm. Doors line, or maybe it was from the movie The Doors, which we've quoted quite a bit here, because you know what? whatever goes goes so you're feeling four kids that's good now uh, charles bagwell you just uh, it looks like you're just you're drawing uh, an emoji how are you feeling over there
4: uh yeah so it's a it's just kind of a shrug a shruggy face like you know with the arms up
0: oh yeah uh, in a, a, a shade of arms.
4: cyan On a scale of blue to seven, I would say I'm at a cyan shrug shrug.
1: Well, I think I've heard quite enough. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree that, you know what? We've got everything we need already. That this is already equitable, guys. That we don't need anything more. That maybe the best union is just us. Mm. I could print that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Also, We've I am going to find you seventeen billion dollars.
2: <laughs> Good one, Your Honor. And might I add, you are looking fabulous today.
1: No problem. Thank you. I'll see you on the links. Mm-hmm. Can't wait.
3: Well, the moral of the story is: know your bagwells. <laughs> know your bagwells. That's the <laughs> and moral. And well know
4: your. Well.
3: <laughs> They say uh, you know, a good lawyer knows the law. a great lawyer knows the judge." <laughs> well, that's our show for today. Before we go, a little shameless self-promotion. We'll start with Curtis. Where can people find you? Uh, you can
1: find me, of course, online on any of the socials that I've currently been invited to. Yes, I will accept your blue sky invite. Uh, I'm at actually Curtis. I also perform with Megaplex at UCB and I now coach Ghost. So go watch Ghost. I will be in the booth uh, giving them notes and telling them that was pretty funny.
3: <laughs> and Ghost is on Monday nights, right? And yes. when's Megaplex? Uh, Megaplex is kind of a shifting schedule. So, oh, fantastic. So go to the UCB website. I'm assuming that's still up. And <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> a few up for things 22 about minutes between 2 and 3 a.m. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Kristen, where can people find you?
2: Uh, pretty much, if you're in Austin, Texas, and you have something to do with improv, it'd be impossible to avoid me. I have officially cornered the market. I work at all four theaters in town, uh, but I also perform every Friday night at 7:30 with my new team, in The Rendezvous. We do close quarters format, and on the internet, I am at k r i s d e n d r e n n i n g on Instagram. And for
3: the non-improv people, what's close quarters format?
2: Uh, It is. It's like um, a bunch of smaller spaces within one larger overarching space. So you could have scenes like in different parts of an airport, for example, or a hotel.
3: Awesome. And Kelly, where can people find you shamelessly self-promote, please?
4: I mean, at this current juncture, you could probably find me wandering the streets of North Hollywood with my phone in the air, trying to find an internet connection. <laughs> uh, but once I do connect, you can find me on any sort of social media at Kelly Shea, K-E-L-L-I-S-H-E-A, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, where I unintentionally angered the Christians. Turns Ooh. out that's need <laughs> to do to go a little bit viral. <laughs> oh, I'll
3: we'll have to check that out. That sounds awesome. All right, thanks. And I am at Comedy Lawyer everywhere they have at Comedy Lawyers. That's our show. Thank you so much. Say bye. Bye.
1: Bye.